Welcome to Julio Gonzalez, National Tax Reform Expert and CEO of Engineer Tax Services Podcast. So, DJ. Yes. Thanks for being with us today. It's my pleasure, Julio. Thank you for having me. Well, listen, it's wonderful to have you, and we have a lot to cover, and as we have always talked in the past, DJ, you know, the family office community is investing in real estate, and they're moving to direct acquisitions that are generating good returns for them, but the question for a lot of families is due diligence. I think a lot of families are concerned about going through that due diligence process. The chief investment officers are, you know, really Wall Street guys that don't have the background or expertise to look at property investing and come up with, you know, a way to mitigate risk and generate good returns on the real estate investment process. So, DJ, that's your expertise. You've been doing this for family offices for a few decades now. What are the critical aspects of due diligence? Well, well, first and foremost, um, you know, you have to make a decision whether you uh, you want to diversify through a fund, um, and that be it a public fund or a private fund. You know, with a public fund like a REIT, you do have instant liquidity. But as you mentioned, a lot of families are going direct today. And when you're going direct, first and foremost, before you even look at the property, you really need to look at who's the operator or the sponsor. Who's the person that you're putting your money and trust into? And when you do that, you need to look at a couple specific areas. Um, One is going to be um, what have they done in the past and um, what's their uh, track record like? Um, Also, you need to take a look at um, how much money they're actually putting into the deal and how long have they been doing what they've been doing? Have they been just doing it since the last downturn? Have they been doing it since um, uh, for a number of decades? And if they've been through a number of downturns, then you're going to mitigate a tremendous amount of risk because they actually have a track record that you can look back to. DJ, what are your what are you doing for the family office What kind of due diligence are you doing to kind of look through a deal? And then what, if you look through this primary set of functions and it's a go, what do you do like to dig deep and then finally take that selection? Sure. Well, first and foremost, you know, we we go to the operator, like I said, and we want to take a look at what they've done in the past. How much money do they have in the game? And then, we start diving into the property. So some of the things that we ask for is what type of due diligence have you done in that area? Mm-hmm. Um, what's the demand? I think a lot of times, especially as the market starts heating up, people start investing. Um, you know, nobody wants to miss the opportunities. And because of that, you know, they're looking to uh, invest into maybe some deals that wouldn't be the best acquisition per se. And so we want to get a better understanding of the market and how they're coming up with their numbers and their projections. Because a lot of times in their projections, it's actually quite aggressive. And with where we are in the current market cycle, we really need to make sure that they have an understanding and an expectation um, along with the experience of the type of return that they can actually receive. So we start digging into the assumptions. And DJ, what 
it sounds like you do a very thorough thorough audit and uh, confirm and confirm not only the numbers but kind of confirm their assumptions to make sure that they uh, their projections agree with what you think is realistic but how many deals do you look at to come to that one that you invest with well typically we'll look we'll end up doing probably about two to three percent of the deals that we ultimately look at so you want to be looking at a close on an annual basis to seven eight hundred deals it all comes down to deal flow and especially with the market it's very tough to find good opportunities today and so you need to look at that many more deals and so if you're going to be investing as a family office through a local operator, then you want to have multiple operators. Mm-hmm. And that also means not only in the property types, but also in the location. So you might have an operator that's in the southeast, and then you may have a different operator that's in the west coast. So you're really front-loading the due diligence that you're doing on who you're going to look to so that when it does come a time for them to bring a deal to you, you've already gone through that uh you know, that initial underwriting process, which is the operator. Okay, DJ, help me answer this because this is what I find to be the most challenging, maybe the most frustrating for family offices. We spend a lot of time and money going to conferences, looking for deal flow, and there's a lot of real estate companies out there going to those same conferences looking for our capital. And it seems like, one, that Mm -hmm. relationship takes time to achieve, and so it's meeting these people over several conferences. And so the whole process to me seems a bit archaic, and I wonder how a family office such as yours kind of goes through that process in a more refined way and even for those real estate investors that are seeking family office capital, is there a more refined way? Because if we're all going from conference to conference, spend a lot of money, but not a lot of transactions are getting done. And it also seems to me like the, the conferences you go to, those uh, real estate deals haven't been pre-screened. They haven't had any due diligence. So we're kind of starting from scratch, right? It just seems like it's the dog chasing the tail and, it's very frustrating. I think probably for the real estate investment companies and for the family offices. So, DJ, how do we you know, get past all this? Well, one of the things that I believe in is, you know, the family office community is a very tight-knit community. And so I think one of the best ways to go about investing in general is by um, the relationships that you've established or work with other families. So that could be me coming to you and saying, Julio, we're looking for somebody down in the Miami area, West Palm Beach, South Florida. Is there anybody that you know that you've had success with or experience with before? And that's a very, very good way in order to identify sponsors uh, and opportunities because you've already had somebody that's sort of done all that legwork and they actually have some experience with it. So that'd be one way. Another way would be to... um, actually reach out to a family that created their wealth in real estate and see if you can co-invest with them. They've obviously been successful. They know what they're doing. It's their own money. They're writing their own checks. And so I think that's another great way 
uh, in order to um, find opportunities and good operators, which is once again through the family office network. So I think I think that's a great way to go about it. Um, I get calls from families all the time that says, DJ, what do you think about this? And, you know, because I have such an integral understanding of of real estate in general, I can size something up in probably about three to four minutes. Mm -hmm. And um, so once again, reaching out to other people that can maybe give you uh, a viewpoint and it may not even be another family. It could be somebody that, you know, who's a friend that could take a look at it for you. Okay. Well, I love the idea of mentorship and peer to peer uh, Mm -hmm. relationships. I think those are great suggestions. DJ, you wrote a big book on this issue. You wrote a book on due diligence and family offices and investing in real estate. And I know you've covered real briefly some of the topics, but what does the book cover? You know, it's a big book. What are, what are the details within that that we need to uh, read upon in your book? Well, you know, it's, um, it, it's really a, a fundamental book in many regards, and it goes over aspects of all the different parts, uh, ranging from the type of different property types, because if you invest into a multifamily, that you know that's different than a senior apartments, which is different than assisted living, for example, because assisted living is an operational business, just like a hotel. So it's not just the real estate itself. Um, the other thing that I think is extremely important is talking about some of the vernacular that's used within the industry. Do you know what a cap rate is? Do you understand what um, you know NOI is and why it's important and the different types of, of leverage or debt that you can put on properties? So it really touches into uh, a lot of the fundamentals as a whole. And actually what's happened is that since we've written that book, it's sort of progressed into – Uh, the Family Office Real Estate Institute, which provides educational information online, but also a magazine that we recently uh, just had our second publication. And, you know, the whole purpose of the magazine, we have three variables. One is no selling whatsoever, because, as you know, family offices are always asked for money. Um, And then I want to make sure that every article people want to highlight because there's something special and something that they learned. So it's all related to families and real estate and, you know, information that they may want to ask, but they just haven't asked or they don't know who to ask and it can give them some good insight. So, you know, I think like you said, unfortunately, not everybody understands every, uh, you know, real estate as a whole, and it's very difficult to understand real estate and hedge funds and private equity, especially if you spent the last 30 or 40 years in chemicals, Yeah, right? makes sense. That's true. And you mentioned cycle. Okay, mm-hmm. so where, where are we in this real estate cycle? That's a good question, Julio. And actually, I had put out a... Um, a survey a number of years ago, and I did two t- two surveys, one with a smaller group of families and one with a larger. The number one question that family has is, where are we in the real estate cycle? And what's uh, interesting about that is that we can actually go back 250 years and identify a cycle, not only in the U.S., but also the U.K. and Australia. And it runs in 18-year cycles. Um, and so when you look at that, 
we're, we should be seeing a downturn coming in around 2019, 2020. We'll then see another pickup where people will start getting, you know, back into the market, making more money. And then we're going to hit a recession probably around 2027, 2028, maybe even a 2029. And that's going to be an actual full-blown recession, maybe not as bad as the last one, but we're going to have another recession. And so this next downturn is going to be much lighter but it's still going to create a tremendous opportunity. And in fact, people that um, ask me about multifamily, what I suggest to them is to say, look, there's in a lot of these markets and each market is different. But in Denver, for example, there's a lot of overbuilding. Mm -hmm. And so we've got a two year supply. So what should really be done is to wait until about 2020, 2021. You're going to be able to get some great opportunities. And also what people don't understand is that multifamily has a nine-month lag until you can really see any impact that's happening to that. So that even adds an extension to that time frame. So, um, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're coming to a point where things are going to uh, really start slowing down. And, and you can see that with the increasing cost of construction costs, as well as the two interest rate hikes we've had over the last you know, 30 days or so. You bring up interest rate hikes, and I was just thinking about that as well. How does that change the cycle now that you know, they've raised rates and they've told us that they're going to the- do it again? Yeah, well, that definitely has an impact. You know, when interest rates are less, what happens is you've got um, you're able to get uh, debt at much lower rates. And because of that, um, you can borrow more. Well, when that interest rate starts going up, you're going to borrow less. And because of that, it actually has a an inverse relationship with values, which means that you know, you can't borrow as much, which means that you can't pay as much for that property, which means that property ultimately is going to come down in value. So as these interest rates start going higher, the values of these properties are going to start coming down. I see. And so what are you doing? I mean, you said that there's an oversupply in Denver on multifamily. Is there an undersupply? Is there a type of real estate segment that's good right now or things we should be looking at? That's a good question because, um, you know, not only does real estate move in cycles um, as a market as a whole, it also is cycle dependent in local markets, right? So that you might have over a building in, in Denver, but you might still have opportunity in Boise, Idaho, for example. But also property type goes into different uh, segments as well. So where you're seeing a lag right now where there's an opportunity um, is in some office, actually, uh, there's some opportunity on the hotel side. Actually, where there's a great opportunity is in the smaller retail, believe it or not. You know, a lot of people are afraid of the of the um, uh, Amazon effect of what they say, but you still are going to go and eat at a restaurant. You know, if you want a cup of coffee, you've got to go in and get a cup of coffee. If you're going to get a haircut, you can't order that online and get it, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of these smaller shops People are actually picking these up for uh, nine caps, which is much, much greater, right, than if you were to buy a multifamily at a four and a half or a five. And these uh, retail shops shops are actually seeing uh, increased business. 
So, you know, I think that people need to be aware that if there's an opportunity for some of these smaller retail locations um, and strip malls, small strip malls, that's a great opportunity. Uh, Long term, I believe in um, if you're land banking per se, uh, I would say parking lots in major cities, Mm -hmm. because with what's happening with the self-driving cars, all these parking lots in downtown are going to have a tremendous effect because they can park these cars that are going to pick us all up outside the city and drive them in. So you can take those parking lots and actually repurpose those, rezone those for future maybe uh, hotels or apartments or offices. I see. And so parking lots, senior housing, some small retail, unique retail. Yep. What if a family has an opportunity and they are told it's a great deal, they're very interested, but they don't have the capacity to do some quick due diligence? What, What do you recommend to them? If they can't do quick due diligence on it. They just don't have the resource, you know. Yeah, if they don't have the resources, a couple of things you can do. If it's a short time frame, I would say walk away because you're better to make uh, no decision than a quick decision that may not be good. The one thing that I've learned over the years is that if you find a property, whether it's a house or it's a commercial property, and you think it's the best thing you've ever seen, I'll tell you, within a week, you're going to find something as good, if not better. So not to worry from that perspective. Um, uh, What you can do is you can pick up the phone, talk to some people like we talked about peer to peer. Uh, Another thing that you can do is to um, there's a number of companies that actually do third party due diligence. And you can actually um, go to them and ask them, can you evaluate this? Can you look at that? Um, If you really want to as well, some people don't think about this, but to underwrite a deal, you could even go to an online like Upworks where people will say, look, I'm going to charge you, you know, either hourly or a flat fee to analyze a deal. That way you don't have to employ them. You can have somebody accessible only when you need them. And, you know, to pay somebody five, six hundred dollars, even a thousand dollars is a lot uh, less expensive than losing a half a million or a million dollars from an investment that you you put in or more. DG, those are really great suggestions. Some I never even considered, you know, to uh, use online platforms to, uh, you know, go out and get some due diligence. That's uh, right. smart. And obviously you're saying there's firms out there. And so, you know, all these resources, is that part of this um, website newspaper community that you put together that people can have access to? You know, we have the information that we provide um, access to through the um, the Real Estate Institute, which is at usfamilyoffice.com um, or usfamilyofficerealestate.com. It, it's really uh, right now we have white papers. Um, we've got a podcast where we've talked with industry experts. And every time I'm asking questions, I'm asking as if, a family office would ask because I know there's questions they want to ask, but maybe they haven't or they wouldn't. Uh, there are videos. There are some um, other information. We don't have any sources of who you could call or whatnot yet. I think that's something that will eventually evolve because um, there's definitely a demand out there. Hands down, there's a demand to to uh, not only for deal flow, 
quality deal flow mm-hmm. and and uh, due diligence and underwriting. DJ, being in this for a long time, where do you see people in the past that have just made the mistakes? What what are the mistakes, and you know, in hindsight, how are they avoidable? Well, one of the mistakes I think that we're going to see, and it's not only going to be in real estate but also private equity, is this direct deal where families are afraid. They're like, I don't want to pay fees. I want to, you know, I want to knock that middleman out per se. And so they're going directly to some of these deals investing. And I think what they're going to find out is that, um, you know, they didn't have that understanding uh, uh, to do the due diligence on that deal. And it's going to come back to where they're going to realize, hey, it was worth paying a little bit of fees for these professionals that are in it all the time rather than making the mistakes I made because I lost money. And one of the areas that I think families need to be very, very careful of is the opportunity zones. Um, That's come out, you know, coming into this year. It's the buzzword. Everybody's talking about them. And there is tremendous opportunities in these opportunity zones, but it still comes down to the fundamentals, the operators, their ability to implement what they need to, and the real estate uh, play itself. Uh-huh. And so, DJ, you're right. I get asked all the time about these opportunity zones. And my concern is, though, it's something that can be taken advantage of because of the new tax reform. I remember back in 86 when we had tax reform last time that they had some similar um, benefits out there and people went out and built real estate, but there was no demand and ultimately we had a SNL crisis. So yeah. I share your concerns. I think what you're saying is, you know, even if there's a, a way to avoid capital gains by going into real estate and opportunity zone, the still principles have to be the same, right? It still has to be a good project. It's, you know, you're going into a place that the government has designated because there's issues with those uh, areas, right? So is that, you know, do you, do you feel the same way? A hundred percent. In fact, there's a, I've written a couple articles about this. I've got another one going up in Forbes, but over the next couple of days, actually next week. And one of the things I mentioned in there is that when it comes to raising money, you, you, you have um, the SEC and FINRA that's overseeing what's happening. And in some cases, I think that the regulatory component is a little bit too much in some ways because they're actually saying, okay, even though you agree that you're accredited and you have all this knowledge and understanding, you know, we're still going to protect you, even though you said you were going to do, you do your own due diligence. Well, with these opportunity zones, You and I can go out and say, okay, we're going to have an opportunity zone and we just declare it on our taxes next year that that's what we're doing. And there's no parameters whatsoever of who can do this. So you're definitely going to have people that are saying, hey, there's a great opportunity. Here's the opportunity zone. This is what we're doing. And the bottom line is, similar to what you're saying, is you still have to go back to the fundamentals. Is there an opportunity there? Is the path of progress happening? Is there... um, You know, is this real estate transaction that we're proposing is actually fundamentally sound? And that's something that I think is going to come back and and really, um, you know, the returns and what 
family offices thinks that they're going to get out of it may not necessarily be the case. And there's like 8,500 zones. It doesn't mean that every single one is a good one. And, um, you know, if you're buying or being sold because of the hype or the tax, you know, prowess that's supposed to happen with this, you're going to have problems. And if you look at some reports that's been done in the UK and the US, has it whether it be these low-income housing credits or these uh, historical tax credits, it's been proven that they haven't had the effect that everybody thought was going to happen. I've seen those, DJ. So I'm concerned. I see the hype and I see people that are not experts in real estate development, real estate acquisition, real estate investing that are at these family office conferences hyping it up and you know going after that family office capital and it's a big concern to me because, as you say, the principles still have to apply. Don't take your money out of a good investment just to defer gain and ultimately eliminate some gain. But the capital now is at risk, right? It's not only the gain, but the capital, right? It, you know, the capital goes well, away. All of it. Right, all of it, right? So, so I mean, I, I am concerned about those, uh, the hype and you know, the family office is not doing enough due diligence around the hype. Well, you're 100% right. And it, it goes back to, you know, you'll read things even in the papers that say so-and-so is starting this $200 million opportunity zone. Well, you know better than anybody being up in, you know, uh, up in Washington quite a bit that they haven't come out with all the final information. So how can you have an opportunity zone fund if you don't know what the parameters are? Right. Yeah. And I'm concerned, DJ, because everyone's been waiting for those final regs. Today, Treasury put out the proposed regs and are still waiting or in the proposed regs, which gives us a little bit more information. They're saying, hey, we're still we're still wanting feedback. We want to listen. And so but I've seen people out there on the Internet today say, hey, we got the final regs. Well, they were just proposed regs. Yeah. Now we got to wait again. Oh, my goodness. And so, you know, you're right, DJ. I, I think that if it sounds too good to be true and these people are saying at these family office conferences that they've got the funds, they've got the properties, they're ready to go, yet they have no final regs, so we don't even know what to do on a tax return. We don't even know how to handle it. Got to be a lot of concern there. Yeah, the, well, well, the other thing, too, is that it's my understanding that there's actually incentives if you invest prior to 2019. So how many people are going to be wanting to write a check without the dust settling, right? And which is another uh, potential, you know, for disaster. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, I think if you look at the, uh, the regs, right, you, you know, before 2019 is, you know, you got that 10-year ticking time and then they expire, right? They're not permanent, the opportunity zone. So... Right. I think there's a lot to be concerned. Now, it doesn't mean that these opportunity zones won't be tremendous opportunities for family offices to preserve and uh, protect capital gains. Um, yep. But, you know, we have to uh, be honest, right, and report what's actual and keep everyone up to date. Well, it comes back to what, you know, your first question was due diligence, right? Yeah. And I think another important, very important question that should be asked by families is, can I see that market demand analysis, mm -hmm. right? That's, that's a third-party report where 
what's great about real estate is you can actually gather enough data to say, okay, there's a demand for a thousand, you know, units, uh, and yet there's two thousand units that are coming to market. Uh oh, that's a big red flag, right? Because there's too much available for too little demand. Conversely, if you find out there's a demand for a thousand and there's only 500 in the in the pipeline or 500 that's coming to the market, obviously there's an opportunity there. And you know, one of the things I would suggest is is to really make sure you understand what's happening in that opportunity. For example, in the old part of Las Vegas, where it all started, um, the founder of Zappos has been investing into that area for years now and had start that gentrification. Well, that just so happens to be an opportunity zone. I mean, things have already started there, which is huge. Uh, another thing that I could suggest is I, I got asked to go to this luncheon for opportunity zones. And I was going to, you know, I was going to start asking all these questions about, well, how do you know this? How do you know that? Well, the group that was actually presenting at the time has been doing development in these areas already um, with low-income housing and historic tax credits, you know, getting 7 8% returns, which are good. But now it's just a cherry on top that they happen to be in these exact opportunity zones where they've been doing this type of uh, investment for 10, 15 years. That is, to me, is a uh, you're mitigating a tremendous amount of risk and you only have upside because they've already been you know, producing results in these areas. That's the best advice I've heard is that, you know, there's probably people that have already been doing development in these areas and it just happens that they've been there and now they're in an opportunity zone where they've always historically been doing business. I mean, that's a no brainer to me. I mean, it's like, okay, well, I know that historically they've been getting eight. Now we can just assume that being in the opportunity zone, we can add and now we're into the teens. Okay, so DJ, any final thoughts on in terms of family office should be looking out to the end of the year? Yeah, I think that um, be cautious with these opportunity zones. Don't jump in just because there's that incentive to get money out toward the end of the year. And um, I'll be honest with you, I think there's going to be multifamily is a big buzzword and has been for family offices. I think you are going to have opportunities but be patient. I would say start putting money aside um, for dry powder is what they call it. Money that you're going to be able to to put out there maybe in the next uh, 12 to 18 months because there will be opportunities and um, we're going to see the, the market take off again after a little bit of a downturn. And so I would be prepared to try to capitalize on some of those opportunities. Okay. Good stuff there, DJ. How do people get your newsletter? You know, if, if people, the best thing they can do is probably go to the familyofficerem.com, which is familyofficerealestatemagazine.com. Um, there's great information that's continuing to grow, and they can sign up there uh, for not only um, getting updates, but also the magazine itself. And is your contact information on that website? You know, it's not because it's purely educational, but I'll, I'll give you my contact information. If somebody has any questions, um, they can get me at dvankuren, which is my name, D-V-A-N-K-E-U-R-E-N, at heymanfamilyoffice.com, uh, H-A-Y-M-A-N, um, or they can go to my website, which is djvankuren.com. 
And how do they get a hold of you? And all my contact information is on that djvancuren.com site. And how do they get a hold of your book? Uh, uh, if they go to djvancuren.com, they're going to find that they can get access to the book. Um, there is a website, familyofficerealestateinvesting.com. Um, so they can go directly to that site or they can also go to my personal site and they can find the information about the magazine, the Real Estate Institute, my book, and um, uh, my contact information. Okay, so DJ, if you don't mind, we'd like to catch up with you in a few weeks when these final regs come out and midterms are over and get your sense of what's changed over the next course of the next few weeks. You know, that would be absolutely fantastic because uh, by doing that, it's also going to allow me to talk with you who I, you know, I cannot uh, tell you how valuable your information is and um, your expertise. So I would welcome that wholeheartedly. Okay. Thanks for uh, being with us today, and we will make sure that we get these families updated as soon as possible when the new regs come out. Sounds great. Thank you, Julio. You got it. Take care.